stands The dice rule every random chance Take off your coat and stay a while We'll roll in that deep percent time Hi everyone, let's do some call-ins today. <clears throat> Flu news, yeah, it doesn't seem to have hit me as hard as I thought it was going to. Actually, my glands are down, I haven't done any gaming for a bit, but uh, I've actually been into work. Uh, it's Thursday, as I recall this, I'm having a work-at-home day. Um, didn't game last night because I had, I had given people notice that I wouldn't. That enabled me to get to bed early, get some sleep. Um, yeah, I think I might be through it or not. You don't care, do you? <laughs> anyway, I'm feeling better. On with the call-ins. <laughs> hey, Dave, it's Che. Just been listening to your... Talking about your 5e mapping. And um, I'd just previously been listening to Goblin Henchman's talking about using two different dice to get different sort of not bell curve effects, big swingy effects. And it just suddenly struck me that I wondered if it was possible using those tables to kind of do it on a different... You know, different die types. I, I got a horrible feeling if from memory, and it is from memory that it's all D20s or something or D100s. But I'm wondering if, you know, you can construct a sort of, uh, I don't know, um, uh, you know, a different dice uh, balance instead of like doing a straight modifier and just wonder if that would work. Um, I don't know. So random thought, take it or leave it really. I don't know. But uh, yeah, loving this stuff as ever. Game on, man. Game on. Hey, cheers, Che. Yeah, I sat on this one for a while. Sorry about that. So, so you, I mean, of, of course, you could make all kinds of fun alternative tables using all kinds of combos of dice. Not strictly necessary, maybe, in the case of the fifth ed tables, because although you're right, they pretty much are all D20 tables. There's two exceptions. Um, the, uh, the original starting room has 10 options, and they're on a D10. And then there's one neat little thing where on the, uh, the corridor widths, uh, the narrower corridors are on the lower results in the table. And you're actually told if the corridor branches from another corridor, you only roll a D12 on that table. So 13 above the much wider corridors you can't hit. Whereas if the corridor uh, is leading from a room, you roll a D20. So that's a, that's a neat way that they've, they've, they've made sure that when a corridor branches from another one, it's going to tend to be narrower. Um, but the reason why the reason why I, I, I don't think it's necessary to use um, to use different dice, which put the bumps in different places, is of course yes. I mean, if you compare a d20 roll to a two d6 roll, then of course if you've got twenty options on the d20, they've all got an equal chance of coming up. Whereas on the two uh, d6, amongst those eleven options, obviously the ones in the middle are going to come up more than the ones towards the edges, um, and that's interesting. So if you've got twelve options, sorry, eleven options there, then some options you're going to get more than others but but there's other ways to put those bumps and i think that in fifth did they have done that so although you're rolling a d20 you don't in each case have 20 options so just by the by the number of hits they've assigned to particular options they've put the bumps in so just thinking i'm not looking at it but just thinking with so with the corridors um the 10-foot corridor, they've actually given a range there. That is that is clearly their default corridor, and it has quite a big range, so that comes up on quite a lot of hits on the D20. I don't know, off the top of my head, it might be sort of a roll of 6 to 12 or something like that. So it's going to be much more common. So they've actually put those bumps in for you. Um, but of course, yeah, there's, a, there's always other dice you can use. I can't remember what the first edition DMG uses. I think that uses a whole different... Uh, pile of dice but i'm not looking at it now anyway cheers for the call in chain glad you enjoyed it hey dave thank you for addressing my comments on saving throws 
I, I don't disagree with you that the original ones are a little bit arbitrary. I think they're fun. And wh when I was working on reskinning OSC to like a, a weird war game, like a, a weird Vietnam game, it, it was kind of fun to, to reskin those. You know, Dragon's Breath could be like grenades or flamethrowers and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's it, they are neat. Um, I, honestly, I kind of like the, you know, what did... Although I haven't played it, I'm, I'm going to play it. Hopefully, Jim Shadow. But the what three and three point five do? They had th they basically had three saving throws that were, but but those were trapped in with the attribute somehow. I think. But anyway, I don't know. But I appreciate your thoughts, and I will talk to you later. Hi, Jason. Thanks for this. Yeah. So I don't feel strongly about this. I mean, I'm. It does incline me. If someone's going to say, what's your, what's your perfect old school game? It might incline me more towards White Box than towards OSE. But, but it looks like I'm going to be playing OSE more. Um, it looks like the support and interest, if I'm writing things, is going to be for OSE rather than some of the other systems. So I think I'm just going to embrace that. As you say, it is quite fun. And there's fun to be had as a GM to try and sort of find other interesting things to save against that you can put under one of those categories. So coming up with fun uses for the saves. And I think you just accept it as a quirk. You know, this is the, the iteration of the game that we're playing. So these are the saves that you roll and making a, making a feature of it. Yeah, third edition and 3.5 were the first editions of Dungeons and Dragons that I played. So yeah, yeah, Fortitude, Reflex and Will all made perfect sense to me. So they were they were yeah, they used the attribute bonus, so they were dependent on attributes, constitution, dexterity and wisdom, but also uh, the different classes advanced differently amongst them. And and that rationale was clear, you know, some classes had more mental prowess than others. Some, it, it made more sense for them to be able to, to, to evade things with agility and others were better at toughing stuff out. So, yeah, so I, I've always felt an affinity to those. Dungeon Crawl Classics adopts that as well and it makes good sense. But even at the time I was thinking, well, yeah, but what about charisma? <laughs> what about intelligence? Surely these should be useful. So I like where Fifth Ed went with that and I'm playing the Black Hack at the moment. The Black Hack doesn't really make a distinction between saves and tests. It's all on abilities and that makes good sense to me as well. Hi Dave, Mike Short in Chicago is with Dungeon Master's Handbook. I was just listening to your episode about saving throws. If you want to know why the arbitrary nature of saving throws, you got to go back in history to Chainmail and Blackmore, which uh, had kind of the first elements of a saving throw there. And they actually uh, go back to other older games in wargaming. The specific situations like Death Ray and Dragon's Breath, those were kind of high those were kind of high level situations that you would have to save against. And unfortunately in O D and D and A D and D and thereon, they were trying to stack a complete system that really didn't make sense on top of these very specific situations. Um, I'm gonna leave another message and kind of continue my thoughts. Hi, Dave. Uh, part two of saves. Um, the other thing, you know, these were, uh, you know, specific situations from the wargaming kind of uh, 
Dungeons and Dragons or predecessor Dungeons and Dragons is, and I don't remember where I read this exactly, but it's my understanding that saves were more about someone's luck or innate natures or just something that happened to prevent the situation versus the reflection of the save being about the person's abilities and statistics and attributes and whatnot. You know, kind of like if you're drinking the poison uh, flask, the save isn't that you're somehow hardy, but the save is that at the last minute you drop the goblet, say, or something like that. It's just a different way to thinking about saves. I, too, like the uh, single uh, value from White Box. Anyway, take care and game on. Thanks, Mike. I think that's the first time calling in, Mike, so I very much appreciate the call uh, and, 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 your, and your contributions. Yes, yeah, so your explanation, your explanation is undoubtedly the right one, but as you say, you know, with your mention of unfortunately, this is one of those cases where the explanation is not a justification. Yeah, these saves have been carried over from a form of the game um, where they, in, in my view, they no longer make sense. I think we were right to sort of grow out of those. And then with regard to your second point, yeah, I buy this completely. So this is the response to the question, why have saves at all? Why not just do it all on abilities? And you can say, well, sometimes it's not all about abilities. And I buy that. Um, but of course what it doesn't, and you know, that's why I've always said that the test for luck in fighting fantasy is basically just a saving throw. It's just, just, it's for those situations where how fast you are or how skilled you are, how competent you are, isn't really, isn't really relevant. So whereas that justifies, uh, having a saving throw, it might even justify having a single saving throw that differs by a class. Cause you might just say, well, some, you know, it might be a balance element or it might be within the idea of some classes that they're luckier than others. So I can imagine you might say thieves get a higher saving throw cause they're just, generally more aware of danger what it doesn't particularly justify is those five specific differences i don't think and then the all of the various inexplicable differences between the classes so josh beckelheimer pointed out on the audio dungeon um that in bx the, the, the wizard gets a worse save against magic you just kind of think why would that be why would that be the case so you know, even if you were trying to explain those differences with reference to the specific abilities of the of the different classes they don't always make sense and i think that explanation that the save really is about luck i think is a better justification of having a single save by class rather than having all the all of those subtly varying different saves but i do buy it as a justification for saves rather than doing everything on abilities well i thought i was done on this and then i got another one another first time calling i think um so thanks very much to the lonely adventurer for this call uh, i'm glad you're listening glad you're enjoying it enjoying it and i'm appreciating these comments maybe it's these actually these little crunchier topics are yeah they're they're fun to chew over aren't they anyway i'll play it Hello, Dave, Lonely Adventurer. I just finished listening to your episode. I'm sorry, not your episode, on your response to Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast uh, regarding saving throws in the OSE. And I am right there with you. They are, I got used to them eventually, playing Lamentations of the Flame Princess, but I don't like them too much. But I like the idea. Uh, in my own home game, we just do uh, ability checks for saves. So. 
dodge that dragon fire with a dex save rather than with a save versus dragon fire sort of thing. Uh, but I also put a much greater emphasis in general on the abilities, or rather the ability bonuses. Oh, it looks like I'm about to run out of time, so I will call right back. Yeah, so anyway, I, I found the disconnect between abilities and uh, saving throws to be a little strange. Uh, so in my game, there, there aren't actually ability scores, there's just ability, my home game, uh, ability, there's only ability bonuses. So the players are rolling against a target number and adding their ability bonus to that. And it's basically a universal save. The target's always the same, though it's affected by uh, negative modifiers implied, uh, imposed by whatever thing that it is that they are saving against. It's more convoluted than I'm making. It's less convoluted than I am making it sound. Uh, yeah, I like the white box idea of just the single save. I'm going to need to research that. That sounds pretty cool too. Uh, yeah, I prefer streamlined over uh, obtuse, and it feels like the old school saves are pretty obtuse to me. Anyway, love the show. Thanks. Uh, keep it up. Have a great one. Yeah, I really appreciate this, and and that's where I've ended up. Not not a flat difficulty. I'm I'm playing black hack at the moment, so everything is a roll under ability. Should it be a bit easier, have advantage. Should it be a bit harder, have disadvantage. Every now and again, I've thought maybe. I mean, you don't have to worry about levels because um, abilities may or may not increase with level that's they're, they're they're tied into the level progression so so you don't need anything else you don't need bonuses you just roll under ability every now and again i if i think something should have a sort of environment specific difficulty i might use the powerful opponent rule so in the black hack you've got a rule if, if you're fighting a an eight hit die opponent and you're only seven hit dice then you uh you modify the roll by one to make it more difficult and uh, although there's no difficulty rating for tasks sometimes if I think this you know in this heist this safe is really difficult to crack because uh, you know you're in a you're in a really powerful factions base then I might uh, assign a level to it you know it feels like it should be level three so I'd apply the powerful opponent rule as if as if it was an opponent with three hit dice but I'm tending not to do that and just use you know roll under ability with advantage disadvantage and that covers everything that covers skills it covers saves covers combat works fine for me yeah you mentioned lamentations I don't say enough about lamentations it got swallowed up by by the by the newer uh, well by the black hack really which is which is my my go-to game but I I've got a lot of affection for Lamentations. I like how they did the thief skills in that. It made really, really good sense to me. And yeah, so they stuck with the five saves, but they renamed them. So I already like that. They renamed the saves or rationalised them so they made more sense. They just made more sense uh, as ways of cutting up the world than the original saves. So I commend Lamentations for that. And then you had that other... Uh, I think you've got an order in which you go down the saves, don't you? Which covers that I I instance of, well, which which save should this be? It seems like it might be that or it might be that. And they give you an order in, wh in which, you know, if it looks like it might be more than more than two of the circumstances, you apply this one first. I really liked that. I can't remember the list off the top of my head, but I remember being really impressed when I saw that. Yeah, I can see the rationale for these five categories. Anyway, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. So there we are, got four callers in to remember. So thank you to Che from Roleplay Rescue, to Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast, to Mike from the Dungeon Master's Handbook, 
and to the lonely adventurer from Camping with Owlbears. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you soon. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact Dave, please leave a message on Anchor, email dpercentile at gmail.com, or find him on Twitter at d underscore percentile.